This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. RUF. If this is your first time here, I'm really glad you're here. And what we're trying to do here in RUF is we're seeking to bring Christians and non-Christians, everyone else, into community together so we can explore the claims of Christianity. And part of that is living in the same community together, getting to know one another. And part of that is looking very seriously and we hope with honesty at what the Bible says. And so this entire fall semester, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And we're here at the last two weeks of large group, and so we're on the ninth commandment. The Ten Commandments, these are ten central laws or commands that God has given us. They're even presented to us as eternal because they reflect, most of all, who God is, his character. They're a transcription of his heart. A couple of things that we've said every single week to, to make clear, uh, make sure these things are very clear, is that this is not an instruction manual for how to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is placing your faith in Jesus. That's it. This is a description or even a vision of what it looks like to respond to God's grace, his undeserved love as a Christian. These are paths of thriving life. This is a vision of the good life as we learn to follow Jesus Learn to become like him because he is the one, the only one, who has obeyed these perfectly. And really, in the end, the Ten Commandments are a portrait of him and his beauty. So let's read together the Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. How many times have I lied in my life? There's no way for me to count. If I look back at the the deep recesses of my memory, I'm old, I can think of countless times that I lied to avoid consequences. There was one time where I used a payphone in my elementary school to call the police as a prank call. And you heard me right, a payphone. That's what I used. And then I hung up and a teacher a few minutes later stormed in demanding to know who had prank called the police because they were wanting to know, was there an emergency going on? Did they need to send the whole unit? And I, you know, said very furiously, it's not me, you know, who would do that? It's really crazy. And I denied it up until this moment. I think so many other times, so many other times where I lied and I have no idea why. When I was young, I had really good vision, not like now, but I thought that it was really cool if to have glasses, which shows you how successful I was at knowing what cool is. And so I lied to my parents acting like I couldn't see clearly the words on a page and so they took me to an eye doctor, and I tried to fail the exam so I could get glasses. But I didn't want too big of glasses, so I kind of just messed up a few of the letters. But then the doc- I didn't mess it up enough so the doctor wouldn't give me glasses, and so that was a total fail. I mean, how many times have I lied? I can't count. But how many times have I been lied to? I also can't count. I've been lied to so many times, even recently. I tried, I used a credit card and I wanted to get some info on a vehicle that I was trying to sell. And so I used this website where it said it's only $1 to find this this info, but it actually signed me up for a subscription at $20 a month that I had no way of getting out of. And so I had to cancel the credit card. Lies, all lies. And I don't think it's really too dramatic to say that this is a world 
characterized by lies. There's so many, uh, so much lying in every sphere of public and private life that it almost seems like lying has just become normal. It's just what we do. In 2004, this, this author named Ralph Keyes, he wrote in a book called Post-Truth Era. You can read on the screen. He said, our attitudes toward lying have grown, to say the least, tolerant. It's now as acceptable to lie as it is to exceed the speed limit when driving. People increasingly lie on their resumes without fear of consequence. In one survey, someone said on a resume that they had worked for Microsoft, but when asked who Bill Gates was, they didn't know. Politicians lie without fear of consequence because the assumption is that the people on the other side lie just as much, if not more. Companies lie about the effectiveness of their products, knowing that they can get away with it. The chip bag is so much bigger than the chips in the bag, right? All of our public avenues of communication, including social media, are dominated by half-truths and just outright falsehoods. And all of the lying breeds distrust. We regard people in authority and all the information we receive with some form of distrust. And, and honestly, it's often with good reason. But the question I want us to think about is, are we any better? We're talking about politicians and companies, but are we any better? Have we exaggerated the things that we have done well? Exaggerated our accomplishments? Or how many of us have hidden part of our failures and failings to make ourselves look better? How many of us have promoted falsehoods by bumping, retweeting, or sharing articles without taking the time to really verify how trustworthy all the information is in the article? I've done that because it just seems to fit with the story that I want people to believe. When we lie, so often we may have no idea that we're even doing it. It's just a habit. And when we lie, very often, we just don't know why it's happening. We just do it. But the, the really good news that the Bible gives to us, this is a word of promise that the ninth commandment ports, points us to, which is that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And that's what we're going to see tonight. I want to explore this promise by kind of tracing out this lies as a theme in the story of the Bible. Lies as a theme in the Bible. And so we're going to look at origin, the origin of lies, two, the infection of lies, and three, the cure of lies. Origin, infection, and cure. And first, I do want to kind of jump ahead and say I'm not going to get into the really interesting questions of is it ever permissible to lie? Say if an evil government is going to hurt an innocent person and you need to lie to protect them, is that permissible? Those are very interesting questions, and Christians have written a lot about that over a long period of time, and I'm not going to get into it. But I'd love to talk about it with you if you ever want to over a biscuit or something like that. When you read the Ninth Commandment, getting into the origin of lies, you notice that it doesn't say, I'm talking about lies, it doesn't say you shall not lie. It says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this is directly talking about a courtroom scene where an eyewitness is brought forward to testify against someone. And this is very important in the ancient context without DNA forensics. And so to determine whether someone was innocent or guilty, it depended almost entirely on eyewitnesses. And so the command is do not bear false witness, giving an untrue witness that would lead to an, a wrongful condemnation of somebody. But why is the commandment phrased this way? Why, why talk about this kind of setting? And I think it's very clearly because bearing false witness is the worst form of lying. 
And really, just in the same way that murder is the worst form of anger, untethered anger in our hearts goes against God's purpose for us. In that same way, bearing false witness in a courtroom is the worst form of lying, condemning someone in this way. It's the worst form of lying, but lying, no matter how big or how small, God hates. It goes against his design. And this would go for lying about a movie that I say that I've seen, but I haven't, but I just want to impress you. It would also be true for lying to a spouse. All forms of lying God hates. But to my friends with really sensitive consciences, the point of the commandment is not, oh, I said that I ate pizza this week, but I actually ate it on Saturday. What have I done? That was last week. That's not the point of this. The point is that the lies that we tell, no matter how big or how small, they reflect the reality of our hearts. And that's why God cares about us telling the truth. And this, so we're asking deep questions about lies, which should lead us to ask, where do lies come from? What's the origin of lies? And asking the question, where do lies come from, takes us all the way back to the origin of sin, rebellion against God. In the Bible's account of human beginnings, God creates people and he gives them everything they need. And he makes them for a right and honest relationship with himself. But then there's an evil intruder into the world who takes God's words and it twists it. It twists it, indicating to God's people that he's made that God really isn't that good. He's holding back from you. He is a liar. And the people that God has made, they have everything they need. They have no reason to believe the false voice, but they believe it. And this is the lie of lies, to believe that God is holding back. He's not really that good. He's a liar because God needs nothing from us. He has nothing to gain from us. So he has no reason to lie to us, which is the exact opposite of the evil voice that has everything to gain from us. But all of our lying ultimately flows from this rejection of what God has said and so of God himself. And really, we could say that the root or the origin of lying is thinking that we can have truth without God. We can have our truth without him. And that's better than what he says. I mean, transporting us all the way back into this room, we get, this gives a different perspective on when we talk about my truth or our truth. We so often talk about things as though something could be true for me, but it may not be true for you. And on a smaller level, that may be accurate. If I say ice cream makes the world better, that may be true for me and for many of you, but not for our friends that are dairy-free. But on a bigger level, there's at least one massive flaw with thinking that there is just simply my truth and your truth, which is that it eradicates responsibility for lying. If I lie and say something that is, is not true, you might say, well, that's, that's just not true. And I say, well, it's my truth. And you say, well, okay, well, it's not factually true. And I say, I don't need facts. That's not my truth. And you say, well, that's, that's a lie. And I say, well, lying works for me. That's my truth. And it goes on and on. I mean, but whatever you believe, whether you're tracking with me or, and you're, or you're not sure, we're all exhausted it's so worn down by the lies, the incessant lies that characterize life out there and life in here. But the question I'm raising is, why is lying a problem? Why is it bad? I mean, if there is no ultimate truth and there's just my truth or your truth, then what is a lie? Isn't a lie then just someone else's truth? But even if something were a lie, 
what, what would, why would it be wrong? Why would it be a problem if there's no real truth standard for it to break? And my point is this, that we know that lying is a problem, but why is it? And it's a problem because there truly is truth. And it's what God has said and who he is. And so all of our lies, they end up going all the way back down at the bottom level to that original lie. That God's not that good. He's a liar. He's holding out from you, holding out on you, and you can have truth without him. So where do my lies come from? They come from distrust. Distrusting who God is and what he has said. And they come, it comes from self-interest. Wanting my truth my way apart from him and thinking that my truth could be better than what God has said, who he is and what he wants from me. And nothing could be farther from the truth. So the origin of lies is rejecting God who is truth. And what does that lead to? Let's look second, the infection of lies. The infection of lies. What does deceit do to us and to our relationships? It infects everything. It gets into everything and its ugly consequences spread more and more. Lies, they infect the way that we relate to ourselves so that we end up deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're okay when we're not. We develop emotionally unhealthy patterns, but then we think it's really not that big of a deal. We may even become addicted to things, but when people confront us and say, no, I don't, I could stop any time that I want to. We are convinced that if people saw the deep sorrow that we feel, they would turn away from us. And so we hide. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we have to pretend to be okay. We deceive ourselves by telling ourselves things about ourselves that simply aren't true. Thinking that I'm better than others or thinking that I'm so much worse than others and that I'm all alone. Lies, they infect the way we relate to ourselves. They also infect the way we relate to other people. We relate to other people with half-truths or falsehoods about ourselves. Maybe we, we even, we tell other people the 90% about, or even our closest friends, the 90% of what's going on internally, but we keep back the 10%. The 90% makes us feel like we're being pretty honest, but the 10% is really where the shame is, and we hold that back. The infection equally makes us attack others. And we, we kind of, we spread unverified things about other people, spreading rumors and, and hearsay that damage their reputation. And we do it because it feels good. And we share things about, uh, about other people that may be true, but we don't stop to ask ourselves, why am I sharing this? Who does it benefit for me to say this? And we think that, I mean, I'm just telling the truth. I know this is true about this person. He did this. He said this. But we're in that moment actually being governed by a lie, which is that I have the moral authority to determine the judgment on someone else's name and reputation. Lies infect everything, and they just, they spread. I mean, to quote one philosopher, lies are a hydra. You cut off one head, and then two more grow in its place. Because the more you lie, the more you have to lie to cover up the original lie. Someone asked me, why didn't you go to my birthday party? And when the truth is, I'm an introvert, and I stayed home because I wanted to. I say, oh, actually, I already had tickets to this concert. They say, oh, what concert? And then I have to make up the name of a band. And they say, oh, I didn't know there was a band. I say, oh, yeah, they're totally real. They're, you know, they're playing all over town. Before you know it, I'm having to start a band and buy a band for them. And I'm funding their tour across the southeast. And that, my friends, is the origin story of Goose Juice. <laughs> true story. Actually, the lie. If you don't know who Goose Juice is, they're a band. That actually is true. 
then the infection of deceit, it just grows. I mean, maybe you've ended up in a situation like that where you lie and you, don't, you didn't even know why you did it, but then someone questions you about it and it just keeps going and it gets you trapped. I really love this song by the Abbott brothers, The Weight of Lies, and you look at the lyrics here. They're singing about leaving a town to go somewhere new to start over, to get away from lies. And you show other people the good parts, but then when they start to see the worst parts, you leave again. And the chorus goes, the weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town. Because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. When you run, make sure you run to something and not away from something. Because lies don't need an airplane to chase you anywhere. Lies chase you down. They infect every part of your life, burrowing deeper into your relationships and into your own heart. And they have this power because they reflect the the deeper infection, which is a distrust in God and rebellion against him. But they they also instill that distrust more and more. Because the more I I lie, the more that I'm trapped in a false reality of my truth. And the more I lie and deceive, the more I'm convinced that God doesn't really, he couldn't really accept me and love me. Lies, they spread through communities. As slander spreads, the more people just want to leave. Because if you're going to drag my name through the mud, why would I stay and why would I trust you? Gossip spreads through communities and it brings a lot of caution, to be honest. Because why would I tell you that last 10% when I'm not so sure that you'll protect my name and my heart? Lies, they simply weigh us down and they trap us and they infect. Lies crush trust, they distort reality, and they really, they keep us from the intimacy and the safety that we're meant to experience. So that's the second thing. Lies infect everything because they reject God's word and him who is the source of truth. Last, let's look at the cure of lies. Jesus, who is at the heart of Christianity, there's so many ways that he is presented to us as the truth. Not just a little bit of the truth, but the truth. He's called God's word, God's speech to us, and God does not lie. But really more on the nose, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is not just a truth teller. He's not just kind of truthy. He is the truth, the embodiment of truth. And why does that matter? It matters because when we look at Jesus in the Bible, we are seeing what truth looks like played out in the world. If you want to know what would the world look like if it were characterized not by falsehood, but by truth, what would it look like? It would look like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He spoke the truth which attracted the needy and the broken and it interminably frustrated and offended others. And when that happened, he lovingly did not bend. He did not bend the truth. He lived in light of the truth. He saw people for who they truly are, not in light of of what the world says about their name and their reputation. He listened to his father. He listened to the truth and he loved without limit or demand. People brought to him the sick and he healed them. And the the worst kinds of people as society sees them came to him and he proclaimed the forgiveness of sins to them. What does the truth do? It shows us the way things really are. It shows us who God really is and it frees us. That's what truth does. It sets you free. 
But what matters the most is that Jesus, as the truth, he came expressly for the purpose to die. He came telling the truth, being the truth, and he was crucified as a liar, condemned for speaking untrue words about God. When the truth came in a body, we killed it. But this was fulfilling Jesus' purpose because in his sin-bearing and conquering death, he undid the infection. He killed the infection and he brought the cur through his resurrected life, a new life that he shares with the most needy, that he shares with the liars like me. It's a life that leads to freedom as we learn to live in the truth and to speak the truth. This is, a, and this is the truth you need to hear tonight, is that this Jesus and this truth, it comes to you exactly where you are, trapped by lies and weighed under them. A Florida man, which is a great phrase, a Florida man this, this year was looking in this place that had a bunch of sinkholes around. And he was looking for some valuable rocks because, of course, he was. He's a Florida man. And he ended up falling into this sinkhole and falling into this special kind of quicksand called sugar sand. Sounds yummy. And he fell in and his feet got trapped in these roots. And so he couldn't, he couldn't move his feet. And then slowly and slowly he started sinking into the quicksand and he couldn't do anything. And more and more he was sinking in there until the, by the time a rescue team found him, the sand was all the way up to his chin. They had to excavate that hole just to get down to the roots to cut him free. It's not like he could grab, even grab onto something and help pull himself out. He was entirely trapped and sunk under the weight. This is the state that Jesus meets us in. When we are trapped under the weight of our own lies and burdened by the weight of the world's lies, Jesus meets us there. And he is freeing truth that meets us before we come clean. And that's the most important thing that we know that, that that's where he meets us. And he has come to cut us loose. And he does this by speaking the truth to us. And it is, it's a truth that kills us because it it tells you that you are trapped and you can't get out on your own. But it's a truth that also brings you life that makes you free because it shows you God's heart posture toward liars It's a heart of compassion and mercy. And that's the truth. Receiving Jesus' truth is the cure. If you receive Jesus as the truth, that is the cure that begins to unwork the infection in all of our hearts. And he's he's not lying to us. He is telling the truth. He He says, I will work this in your heart, the cure, and undo the infection. So how do we, what do we do? We receive Jesus as the, as the truth and we receive his truth. What does that mean? It does mean learning to understand what he actually has said. And yet that does mean reading your Bible, but also means seeking with pastors and other Christians to understand what really has Jesus said in its most direct and clear form, to seek to understand it. And then here's the prescription. You listen to it. What if instead of starting with my truth as the standard to judge God by, what if we started with God's truth, what he has said as the standard, and we began to live in light of it, bringing our minds and even our hearts into conformity with it? What would happen? Well, the promise is not that you'll just instantly love the truth and that everything will be great. 
The promise is that the more that you, you listen to Jesus' truth and receive him as the truth, rather than starting with your truth, you will find in practice that God is who he says he is. He is not holding back from you. He's not a liar. And he will work in you the truth. And he will more and more set you free to love the truth because you will more and more love him. Jesus' cure works into us. And then it makes us true witnesses to what is right. And we will bear witness more and more that we receive Jesus as the truth. We will bear more greater witness to what's true about ourselves. We will know ourselves as sinners trapped outside of God's grace. But we also know in light of that just how loved we are. The more we receive Jesus as the cure, the more we will bear true witness in relationship to other people. When our closest friends ask us how we are doing, we will more and more be honest. That Yes, there is a need for discretion about what I tell to certain people. But when my closest friends ask me, tell me what's going on, the more and more I will feel free to share that 10% because... All of it, Jesus sees, and he has proclaimed over me perfect forgiveness and love. The more and more we receive Jesus' truth, the more free we will be to to know one another and be known by one another. And what will spread in this community is not distrust or self-interest, but safety and intimacy. Instead of speaking falsely about other people, we'll be so careful about the way that we speak about who other people are and what they've said and what they've done. And if I'm going to speak about anyone, I will first ask myself, why am I saying this? And I will seek to love them as I say it. Because Jesus told me to love my neighbor with my words, and he never lies. He tells the truth. He knows what sets me free. We will simply, the more we receive Jesus as the truth, we'll just be eager to speak the truth in everything. We'll be eager to, to uh, share the truth and be, be really careful about how confidently we speak about something as true. And we'll be more than anything confident to say that Jesus is the truth. And so I'm going to listen to him. The truth will set you free, friends. Uh, in the movie Flight, Denzel Washington, he plays this pilot named Whit Whitaker. He's an alcoholic. And on one flight where he is drunk, the plane malfunctions. And so in order to land it safely, he has to invert it. And he saves most of the people on the flight. But post that, they discover traces of alcohol in his his bloodstream in the hospital, and they find two empty vodka bottles in the cockpit. And so eventually, at the very end of the movie, he ends up in a hearing before the, the safety board with the airline. They're also on trial. And they're asking him, who drank the vodka? And he's tempted in that moment to talk about the flight attendant and to say she is the one who drank it. But in that moment, you can just tell that he can't do it. He's lived his entire life in a lie, denying his addiction. And here's what he says. He says, I could not tell one more lie. And maybe I'm a sucker because if I had just told one more lie, I could have walked away from all that mess and kept my wings, kept my false sense of pride, but at least I'm sober, and I thank God for that. I'm grateful for that. And this is going to sound real stupid coming from a man who's locked up in prison, but the first time in my life, I'm free. Living in the truth will cost you. Telling the truth will cost you. 
But Jesus sets you free to tell the truth because he has set you free from condemnation and he's set you free from self-interest. You have no need to hide. He has found you and he loves you. And you have no need to seek your own truth because he is so much better than anything that you could give to yourself. There is no need to look for anything better. He gives you everything. He will not hold back. And so the invitation of the ninth commandment is to come to the truth and be freed by it and live in it. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are the truth. We ask that the truth would set us free because you have said it would. And we ask this in your name. Amen.